In this next interview, Wayne Bruce talked to Professor Alan Cripps, the Pro Vice-Chancellor Health at the Faculty of Health at Griffith University. Could I start off the, our interview by asking you to tell me briefly about the career path that's led to your current position? Well, I started life as a um, medical technologist in the health system. I had a, uh, a primary degree in physiology and anatomy, and a PhD in immunology, and then went into, uh, into human diagnostics. Um, and that's where I stayed for 22 years uh, before taking a full-time academic job. Right. So all my research and academic work prior to 1995 was done in the healthcare, healthcare system. Right, and then you joined the academic system in 95? I, yeah, 1995 I joined the system. I, the only break I had in the, uh, in the health, from the healthcare, uh, the health sector was uh, two years working in the pharmaceutical industry. So okay. A bit of commercial experience along the way. Right. Um, and then uh, I uh, went into academia as a dean by the way, right. which was an interesting experience. Yeah, certainly going in at that level would have going been. Going at that level was a, was a very interesting experience. Yeah. yeah, very good. And what do you see as the key issues affecting healthcare today? I think the major, major issues uh, relate around dealing with the lifestyle illnesses uh, for developed countries anyway, uh, and, and uh, the ageing population. So from that comes a whole series of chronic diseases uh, which clutter up the acute care health system. Um, so it's going to be really about how we deal with those lifestyle and ageing chronic diseases mm. within the community and within the primary health care sector. I mm. think that's the major challenge uh, for the next 20 odd years. And do you see is there going to be an effective way to do that? Uh, yes, uh, we have to get uh, the general population or the community to realise that you don't have to trot down to uh, the local hospital for every um, minor affliction that uh, GP services or primary healthcare services are available. And I think with the increasing medical workforce, hopefully a lot of those uh, new, uh, newly qualified medical practitioners will see, see general practice as a, as a career path. And hopefully uh, we'll be uh, able to provide them with a lifestyle balance that's reasonable given mm. the increase in numbers. Um, Griffith University is setting up a new or a new medical school or perhaps I should say a medical school in a different location but in conjunction with the new Gold Coast University Hospital. Does that present any particular opportunities for you? Oh, it's enormous opportunities to have a, a $1.8 billion tertiary teaching hospital on your doorstep. I think that uh, what it will do is provide our students with uh, a wonderful clinical experience without having to uh, travel too far afar locally uh, within, their own, within their own medical school. The other big plus is the opportunity to have joint uh, appointments with the new, new hospital uh, and uh, roll out uh, significant research programs that, uh, that, both, uh, that are both common to both the university and to uh, the hospital. Mm. So I think the building, building research capacity on the Gold Coast is tremendously exciting mm. and, and building that, uh, that uh, good and sound clinical experience for our students. And what role will the uh, private hospital on site play, if any, in that? 
Well, I would hope that the private um, hospital will be uh, an extension of the university teaching hospital. Mm. It's co-located and often uh, private hospitals, because of the relationship between the uh, attending physicians and doctors uh, with the, uh, with the uh, private hospital, each, each, each attending doctor has to be sort of negotiated with independently uh, for clinical education. I would hope that a new new private hospital would have that as part of a modus operandi for their their practitioners mm. attending the hospital. And um, do you see that any particular challenges in attracting and retaining talent in the healthcare academic space? The major issues uh, relate to salary parity. Currently, the university system is falling behind in terms of salaries uh, for all the all the healthcare professions um, and that, that's a major issue in, in attracting uh, staff uh, clinical academics uh, to, uh, to to the university sector. I'm not sure there's an easy answer to that. One of the things that we've tried here very effectively is to um, allow um, our academic staff to have uh, rights of intramural private practice in some areas so we actually provide, uh, the, provide the clinical facilities for them to conduct private practice in, within the university. And, and others work in, in joint appointments with the hospital sector. It's, uh, it may be that in the future we'll see a much more closer alignment between um, practitioners in the hospital or the health, health, private health professions and the university. So it's much more seamless mm. in terms of uh, of staffing. Mm. That does have, of course, uh, some uh, impact on research, mm. uh, where traditionally universities were the research powerhouses, and you uh, did a lot of your research in your university, sort of, I'm putting inverted commas, university time, mm. uh, that was where that was sort of done. What competencies do you think that the academic leaders of tomorrow will need to be successful? Well, they'll need to be multi-skilled. Universities have moved beyond just straight academic management. I mean, it's it's, a, it's about establishing um, people skills uh, to deal with both students who have really become clients. As we've moved away from, or moved towards, I should say, a fee-paying uh, mentality. Uh, all students pay fees now to a greater or lesser extent, so they really have become clients. Mm. So it's about managing that client interface. It's about managing performance assessment of academic staff. Um, that's a major issue now in universities and it's a major focus mm. um, with respect to um, learning and teaching performance in terms of student uh, satisfaction around that performance and also in research, research outputs and research grants. The other area is that all academic managers now have to have some strategic approach to the position with a strategic outlook, particularly given changing government agendas that are now, now happening uh, and to be able to best position uh, their academic organisational unit to, to accommodate those uh, environmental changes that are occurring politically and structurally uh, within the sector. And fundamentally they have to be operationally competent to be able to, to bring all that together into a package that's deliverable. In our own work we've certainly noticed that a number of 
clients when they're looking for heads of school and such leadership roles the the leadership the strategic relationship organizational skills are the things that they're really looking for and the person obviously has to be a competent academic but I, if I could put it this way they don't necessarily need to be the world's best academic or best researcher they need to be respected in that respect but they need to be excellent in their as I say leadership and management competencies would would you sort of concur with that or do you think that's not quite correct well I probably concur to uh, partially if I can go down that path I think um, the academic must be or the academic manager must be academically competent um, and when we're assessing people here for academic title for example we're not looking at their clinical competencies we're looking at their academic competencies mm. that is the ability to be able to have a high performance in learning and teaching or high performance in research or a mixture of both at a lesser level but certainly competent across mm. those spectrum so we're looking at competencies with respect to learning and teaching, research, and community and university service. So I think you have to be respected across one or more of those spectrum spectra to to take on a role. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of onus on on the universities now to provide that sort of mentorship for its potential um, leaders of the future. Mm. So an arrangement whereby we just don't take a good researcher or a good teacher and dump them into an administrative role. Mm. I think the onus is now in the university to actually provide a training um, and mentoring process for leadership. Mm. But in addition to that, um, there is life after being head of school. There's life after even being a pro vice chancellor. I hope. So there's a sort of a step back. So these positions are normally only for a short term, three to five years. Yeah. Maybe you'll do a second term. I'm just into my second term now mm. here, which will be ten years. Mm. So I would hope that at the end of this I would have some sort of career path in academe in one of the areas of learning and teaching, mm. preferably research, but mm. it might be university service. Well, we might so it's make quite a, complex. We might make a diary note to touch base in five years and, uh, <laughs> and, and look at that. Um, if I could just ask in closing, if you were mentoring an aspiring uh, academic, um, what would be your advice to them in terms of charting their career successfully? They've got to get the balance right. Um, I think that um, get the balance right and avoid the burnout. Um, and, and so that's about not trying to do everything, trying to keep it focused. The other area that I think uh, I would advise a, a, a young academic would be to join productive teams mm -hmm. um, where there's good mentorship both in research and learning and teaching and, and, and grow within that team uh, to try and, and develop the skill base and certainly the reputational base to, uh, to perform and, you, and to be promoted. And do you think overseas experience is uh, important in that mix? or? I was probably one of the first, uh, probably, well, I don't know whether I was one of the first, but I was certainly one of the earliest uh, postdocs that never went overseas. Mm. Um, it's going back some years ago now. And I don't think it's affected me at all. Mm. Um, and I don't believe that you do need an overseas experience uh, to be a great researcher or um, a great teacher uh, immediately post postdoc. Mm. 
postdoctoral. I mean, what you might want to do is have some experience later um, as part of a sabbatical study leave arrangement, and that's what I did. Mm. Um, and it had, I think that was better because I was more mature, mm. and I, I was much more focused, and I knew exactly what I wanted to uh, to um, to uh, uh, to achieve mm. uh, in that uh, in that period of time. Very good. Thanks very much for your time today, Alan. Pleasure.